The following podcast is an RMG Media production. Hey, Sid. Hey, Walker. Happy, I guess, Monday, because this is going to come out on a Monday. Yep. What's up? I mean, not too much. I guess I, whenever this one comes out, I'll have been fresh from vacation. And I will have maybe given birth. Maybe. It's still up in the air. It's still up in the air. I don't know if this boy wants to come out or I've, if he's just super happy where he is. I absolutely loved making jokes about how your maternity leave will not start until the day that you give birth. Like you like Sydney came into the office the other day and asked, like, so when is Sydney that's our other Sydney, is when is she going? On maternity leave. And I was like, well, her due date's the 23rd. So she's not going to start maternity leave until like the 27th. Right. No, I actually think that I'll be from the hospital just, emailing you and texting we'll you. We'll just do a podcast from the hospital. We could. We could. You know, I mean, while I'm having like small contractions, yeah, like just, maybe before they get too overbearing. Right. I don't know. But so tell me about your business. <laughs> then you just hear Nick in the background crying. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll definitely be working up. That's been the magic question of this whole pregnancy is everyone has asked me that. When are you taking a maternity leave and how long will it be? And my answer to both is I don't know. And I don't know if it's possible for me to take a maternity leave, but that's really just because I don't really want to. I really just fun stuff going on. There's so much fun stuff going on and having great guests. Yeah. Like the person that we're about to introduce y'all to that I think blew our damn minds. Oh my gosh. We just had. One of my favorite, I know we've said this before, but one of our favorite guests on, Becca Gardner, she's the founder and CEO of Alt Distilling and the innovator behind Naked Lady. And that is a non-alcoholic spirits brand. And y'all, I mean, I first tasted the tequila of this brand in February when we had our women's summit. Um, and I was, I don't know, six months pregnant at that point. I don't know how pregnant I was. Probably not. My mouth is wrong. But was so amazing that I was able to have a cocktail. And this is not a this is not a brand just for pregnant women. It's just it was such a plus for me to get to experience that because I everyone else was it was happy hour and everyone Mm. had a beer from Mill Creek and a seltzer. And I was able to have this like beautiful tequila infused tasting cocktail. It's yeah, it's not like what you think like, oh, okay, whatever. It literally is a spirit alternative that uses the spirit. So this is a tequila a non-alcoholic tequila that's made from tequila. It's insane. It's a process that no other company really uses. Um, she mentions it in the podcast. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Some scientific term. Vacuum. Ethanol? Oh. Vacuum press or reverse vacuum, something or other like that. But it's they literally just remove the ethanol, the alcohol, they, yeah. from the spirit. So like their whiskey, it still uses the charcoal from the uh, barrels. Like it's all the same thing. It tastes the exact same. Yeah. Like the ingredients. No alcohol. The ingredients of the tequila that I'm looking at right now, it's distilled water, tequila and other natural and artificial flavors, organic agave syrup, sodium, you know, just like a couple of more things. Like it's very much tequila is an ingredient in this, but the alcohol has been removed. Yeah. And so anyone can drink it. And it's something for everyone. And what my thing is with this brand and Becca is she is innovating in a space that yet doesn't yet exist. And she's doing it from a really purposeful place because she um, was an alcoholic and she has been on this, uh, you know, sobriety journey and, and has a really powerful story and just you know, like I said, she created something from a hard time and is 
really uh, foraging through um, and plowing through creating again, a space that doesn't exist, which is so, it's already so challenging to start a product-based business, but to do it in an industry that doesn't exist where you're just having to break down doors that aren't even really there, but that are because they're not. And as a (laughs) a woman in a, like a male dominated space and you know, you're going up against alcohol, the biggest companies in the world where they don't want another competitor or for people to not drink their product you know it's it's just absolutely incredible and she's done it in the best way and uh you know we talk all about just her process the team behind naked lady uh her story she works with her sister which i think is so cool it ties like together with our story a little bit which i love and uh it's just a wonderful 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 conversation yeah so her whole thing is she was inspired to create a brand that reignites the social aspect of drinking without the pressure or induced courage of alcohol which is really such a huge part of their brand and mission is just um you know making it okay to not drink and make it it's not a big deal like why do we have to make it a big deal and one of my favorite parts of the episode is how she describes the bottle and the branding by being something that blends in and stands out. She wants her product to blend in in that you see it among other tequilas and you're not like, oh, I don't want that one because it doesn't have alcohol. It fits perfectly in, but um, it stands out because of what it is. You know, if you're on a journey of, you know, like, I just don't want to drink right now. I don't want to do that. I'm just trying to cut back or whatever. There's no pressure when you get this. Like the whole idea is let me get a margarita, but I want it naked. You know, it comes from a bottle that looks like a tequila bottle. No one really thinks anything of it. There's just no alcohol in it. Yeah. There's no pressure to be like, can I get this mocktail or this uh, faux margarita? Virgin. Virgin. Yeah, no, it's nothing like that. It's just, I, I just don't want any alcohol, but I, I want a margarita that tastes like a margarita. Yeah. Or, a, you know, whatever it is. So with that, please help us welcome Becca Gardner, founder and CEO of Alt Distilling and innovator behind Naked Lady to the Renaissance Podcast. Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast a podcast for Renaissance women and men who want to create a modern day Renaissance in their life and business. We interview some of the most successful entrepreneurs and share their unique stories. Are you ready to create your Renaissance? Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back. We're so excited because I have we have someone in studio today that I have just adored for like the last, I don't know, seven, eight months and had the pleasure of meeting earlier this year at the Renaissance Women's Summit. Mm-hmm. Becca Gardner is here, the founder of Alt Distilling and Naked Lady. Such a cool product. <laughs> Thank you. We Welcome. have it sitting here for those on yes. video. Um, it is, you brought your tequila alternative. I did. Yes. And you, we had this at the summit. Yes. Yes. What? I think we we had a cocktail with the tequila and with our gin. So That's and it right. was yeah. the most. I mean, I was I was four months pregnant at that point. I think I don't know five months pregnant, and it was like the best thing ever because you had it during our happy hour, <laughs> and I was able to drink something yeah. that like was so good, and it is so good. And I don't like how how did you make how do you make tequila? this actually takes like tequila because it really does it's from tequila it is it's and it has been a long process to figure out how to make these products at least in a way that hit the bar that we set for them which was 
largely my bar because I don't drink alcohol. So <laughs> I think, you know, for me, it wasn't that we could make a product. It didn't taste great. And then I would just go have the real thing. I really wanted to be able to recreate the cocktail experiences that I had once known and loved. And we started in a lab setting where we were going to just do it the, I don't want to say the easy way, but an easier way where we just made kind of flavors and formulations. And we couldn't really get it to a place that we felt customers would really get excited about. And so we kind of went back to the drawing board and decided that we would actually start with real spirits. So we use this process called vacuum distillation, which means that we distill using pressure, not temperature. So we distill at room temperature to remove the ethanol from the spirits themselves, the gin, tequila, the whiskey. And that's our base. So we actually use the flavors that are created during the fermentation process to create that flavor profile that customers kind of know and expect with real spirits. And then we add other natural flavors to kind of complement them. Yeah, that cocktail was so good. I don't know what the I don't know what you mixed in with. It was just delicious. <laughs> <Thank> and <laughs> I cannot wait until I can literally go to my liquor store and just grab this. Yeah. And that's and on the docket. That's it, coming. It is. I think for these products to be successful and really to go after the white space, they need to be in all the places that people would expect to be able to purchase or right. enjoy cocktails. Um, or the ingredients to make them. And so for us, it's not about just being a D2C brand where you might see an Instagram ad. It's really about being at your local liquor store, being yeah. at your favorite bar um, so that these can kind of integrate into the fabric of fabric of drinking culture. Okay. Yeah. Do you think, and then I, we need to get into you, but do you think in the stores it will go under a category that says non-alcoholic or will it just sit on the shelf? So it's interesting. A lot of that... I thought more of that would be up to me, and it's not. <laughs> so, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> the things you learn. But, you know, I think um, it's very state by state and market by market. Um, so, we're seeing a lot of non alc products actually be categorized with beer. So, in mm-hmm. some liquor stores, you'll see some of the non alc alternatives with the beer. Some markets and, you know, retailers within them will actually have their non alc section. It might be with the mixers. Um, you know, I think I dream of a day where you can be going down the aisle with the tequila and there is a section that has the tequila alternatives, but I think we're definitely a few years away from that. So fingers crossed, fingers (laughs) crossed, especially for like pregnant people, just because I go down the beer aisle and I'm trying to find non-alcoholic beer because I actually love non-alcoholic beer. That's the same. But this is crazy, but like the Budweiser, uh, it's called like. 050 or something it's non-alcoholic and i drink it i've drank it through my whole pregnancy and i love it because it just tastes like a beer it tastes like a beer it's the the whole experience and that's the whole point of it right it's like if you're gonna switch you want to have and that's why i think a lot of people stay drinking is because they want to hold something when they're at the bar they're with their friends they're outside and with this if you could make a cocktail with something that tastes just like tequila but it's got no alcohol in it a hundred percent the perfect process. I think it needs to be innocuous because yeah. we still have a culture that really encourages people to drink mm-hmm. and for whatever reason they wouldn't drink, you know, and I think there's a lot of discomfort in making that decision not to drink. Mm-hmm. And so I think it needs to be easy. It needs to be something that can be under the radar yeah. for folks that aren't wanting to have a conversation about why they're making that decision. And I think, you know, I love that you mentioned beer because I think 
the non-alc beer category is really aspirational for us because I think over the last like five or six years, we've really seen that come into, you know, the light, like so many folks that would never have considered drinking non-alc are drinking, you know, the non-alc Budweiser's or Heineken's or athletic brewing. So, well, Well, and then I like the branding aspect of like, can I get a margarita, make it naked? Yeah. That's what I like the most. It's like, then it becomes like a fun thing. Just make it naked. Yeah. And I think we realized that there were maybe some words that weren't supporting the growth of the category and that they were actually dissuasive. And I've mentioned this in past conversations with folks, but, you know, the word virgin or even mocktail, there's something about it that feels like it's subpar. And so I think, you know, this can very easily be seen as just kind of a health and wellness product. And I think for us, we wanted to make it easy, but we also wanted to have a bit of an edge so that folks didn't feel like they were saying that they were like, you know, a good tissues or like being you know only wellness focused because i think that can impact the environment the social environment that you're yeah. in and the people you're around wow. so that's like so it. brilliant okay we have so many like, <laughs> so many questions pockets yeah. to get into but to start okay because i just want to know we, we read your bio in the intro and we people kind of are are prompted on on you just a little bit but you are one of my favorite types of entrepreneurs because you created a product based on kind of a, a hardship that you had in your life and a difficult season that you had. And then you had this incredible experience, I want to say, in London that yes. led you to go so hard and make this thing happen, which you did, which is so inspiring. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, I... I worked in an environment where drinking was just part of it. So I was working in strategy consulting for 10 years. And so there were constantly client dinners and team dinners. And I was really living in hotels and on airplanes. And I drank all the time. But so did everyone around me. And so I never really gave my consumption much thought until I had kind of a sequence of hard things happen in my life. And I realized that my response to that was to numb out. So I wasn't at the bar dancing on tables, being the life of the party and being fun. I was drinking at home alone um, because I didn't want to feel those emotions. And I think when I really confronted that, it scared me. And I didn't want alcohol to be on my shelf of coping mechanisms if I was going to use it in that way. And so, you know, removing alcohol uh, from my toolkit was one of the best decisions I made. But I shortly thereafter became really annoyed with my experience because, you know, I felt alienated from so many of the experiences that I had once loved. I, you know, love going out. I love dancing. I love going to concerts. And I always just ended up feeling like a weirdo um, in those experiences. And I felt like everybody was always so curious as to why I was making this alternative decision. And, you know, so I was kind of living with that discomfort. And when I spent some time in London interviewing for a new job opportunity, it was the first time that I really felt like this decision that I made for myself wasn't one that had to come along with so many compromises because there really was so much inclusion in the hospitality scene in the UK. It seemed like every bar, Mm. every restaurant had non-alc options. And so I could just participate. People didn't seem to think it was a weird choice. If anything, it was kind of in vogue because it was really emerging Mm. at that time. And I left... I left, you know, London not taking the job opportunity and deciding to actually pursue doing something about this. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> when, thank you. When thank was you. that? Like what year? So that was the beginning of 2019, okay. early 2019. And um, I, or the summer of 2019, I just start, I decided to start pursuing this. And, you know, I've been living kind of annoyed with my experience for about a year. 
And um, I was so excited. I think there was always part of me that wanted to do something of my own. I just didn't know what that it meant, was. you know, and, and I, I had a couple little false starts. I'd have ideas. I'd work on business plans, but I don't think my heart was really ever in it. And I realized that I'm just, I'm just the type of entrepreneur that I have to be incredibly passionate about what I'm doing to be able totally. to kind of harness that energy right. and that, you know, enthusiasm and just that drive to kind of push something across the finish line. I always think that it's like people want to be entrepreneurs, but then they spend so much time thinking of what the idea could be. And it's like, that's never the best way to go about it. I, I agree. I think I had to be hit on the head with yeah, it, you know, it slapped in the face. Yeah. And it actually, I joke with my family because it was actually some of my closest friends and my family that were like, can you please do something about this? Because you're getting annoying. Like I, it was the only thing I was talking about. Yeah. You know, I was ordering all the products. I was doing all this research and everyone around me was like, you are spending so much time on what you're calling your new hobby that it's starting to look like a job. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Maybe this is how maybe this is how someone finds, you know, what that spark <laughs> is. Yeah. Okay, well, I want to talk about kind of your, I don't know, geographical trajectory because you grew up in central Kentucky. Yes. On a thousand acre farm. Yes. What the heck? <laughs> well, you, you're, yeah. Your dad's an entrepreneur, right? Your dad has, No, my dad's no? a doctor. Doctor, um, okay. But my parents and I'll say our parents, my sister Jenny works with me as well. Hi, Jenny. Um, and she's in the room right now. So, <laughs> um, yeah, our parents decided to open a country inn in the middle of nowhere. And I love it. Uh, so we all moved out there and did that. And we were far enough away from schools that homeschooling was kind of a better option. And so we had a pretty non-traditional childhood. And it's so funny. We were talking about this on the drive here, my sister and I. And, you know, when we decided to sell the farm, um, she was very, very not happy with that. She could have lived in the middle of nowhere in nature forever. I was in that phase where I was watching Sex in the City and I kind of felt like a prisoner, you know, like I was like, <laughs> don't want to be homeschooled, don't want to be out in nature, want to be in New York City. I like what I'm seeing in Sex in the City. And so <laughs> I, you know, after college, I went to Denison in Ohio for college. And then after college, I moved to New York um, and I was there almost 12 years before wow. I decided to move back into my parents' basement um, to build this company. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, talk about like really getting into what you're being drawn into. I mean, yeah. And so with New York, I mean, do you feel like New York had something to do with kind of that, that hard season that you were in, like the city itself? I've heard people say that, but I've also heard people say if you can make it 10 years, you can be a lifer in New York. Yeah. You know, I think I probably stayed beyond, you know, my expiration date because of how much it meant to me to be able to have gotten there mm -hmm. and to have that job and to have that apartment. And, you know, it felt like it was really hard to accept that I wasn't happy there um, yeah. anymore. And I think I'd felt that way for some time. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think I, I'm just one of those people that if I decide to do something, I'm going to give it. A hundred percent and be really open-minded to what that looks like. So I think when I wanted to create an authentic spirits company and I grew up along the bourbon trail, I could only wrestle with that idea for so long before I realized that it made much more sense to build this company in Kentucky than Bushwick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was kind of like, you know, if I hadn't originally been from Kentucky, I mean, it just, 
it, it became a little bit hard to deny. And I think it ended up working out very well because, you know, shortly thereafter the pandemic came and so many other people ended up moving back in with their parents. So right. it wasn't probably that weird. It wasn't. Okay. It was very weird at first yeah. and then much less weird. Yeah. And so I, it ended up being the right move. I didn't know that I would also fall back in love with Kentucky and decide to, to stay. But here we are. Here so. you are. <laughs> well, I like how you've tied that back in your branding of like the Kentucky roots play such a pivotal role in this, you know. <sighs> they do. And I think that um this this product creating this company has been very much a coming home experience for me. I think getting to a place in my life where I didn't feel like I needed alcohol to feel less anxious, to feel like I fit in, making peace with a place that I didn't really feel like I identified with, um, being Kentucky and coming back and finding so many things to love about it as an adult and to find a lot of meaning in actually being there. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like working on this company, building this has changed me in so many ways that I'm so grateful for. I think it's helped me be so much more open-minded and not have to be, you know, I was on a career trajectory where every milestone was set for me and it was just about how effectively I got there. And every day is different now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every week oh, is different. Yeah. The goals are constantly shifting. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a little unusual compared to what I had experienced before, but it's so much more exciting, so much more fulfilling. Can we talk a little bit about your sobriety experience? Yeah, absolutely. I just, I'm curious about that because it, it's like you have just this incredible story and you, I mean, you put, you've put everything into this incredible brand and, and by the time you left New York, were you hundred percent sober? Or? Yeah, okay. I was, I was, I, you know, I got sober in New York um, and I got sober in the program and I really, I have to say it was the day that I said, you know, my name is Becca and I'm alcoholic, I was um, in a space with 200 other people. And it was the first time that I'd really admitted that to myself or anyone else. And wow. to get um, an applause and also be surrounded by all these really cool, beautiful, amazing people. Yeah. I was like, wow, like, this decision doesn't have to be so scary. It doesn't have to be so isolating. And instead, it's quite the opposite of that. I think I found so many new friendships and relationships of people who had had similar struggles that had dealt with shame in a similar capacity that were drinkers like me that actually have been drinking because of their anxiety and feeling socially awkward as opposed to necessarily being like the party girl. And I think to see people that I felt like I had more in common with was really such a huge part of my healing process mm -hmm. um, early on. And so, you know, I created that foundation of sobriety that first year. And um, yeah, and then I moved back. And it's kind of very mean to like get sober and then decide to start a company based off of it. But um, <laughs> I always joke that there's a lot of accountability in there, too. Yeah, for real. Like, you're like, yeah. okay, I'm really committing you're to really, that. Yeah. That's I was about like, as I'm going to make sure everyone knows I'm sober. You know, like sometimes they're like, maybe don't share with everybody right away. I'm like, I want to build a national brand. National. Um, so here, yeah. <laughs> take it, take it nationwide. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that's it. Exactly. Well, Okay, so then you know you, you you were had already been you were already well into sobriety yeah. like when the London event happened yeah. and then moved back to Kentucky. Okay, so walk us through starting this thing. Like you, I've heard you say so many times in interviews, you're like, I'm a first time entrepreneur. I didn't know I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, th there's one thing being a first time entrepreneur. There's another thing being starting a beverage company yeah. in a space that's not been tapped into yet. Right, you're innovating in a space that really doesn't exist. Yeah. So that's really hard. With like a country that 
the stigma is just you got to drink. Like, yeah. That's yeah. I do joke that I, had I known how crazy it, it was, like what I was setting out to do, I might have like changed some things about my business strategy. But, you know, it's a hard time to start a consumer products company with the pandemic and supply <sighs> chains. It's a little bit harder to create something that's never been made before, I realized. It's <laughs> a little. Then, you know, putting it on a slide and telling people you think you can do it. But, um, I mean, it has been such an experience of trial and error. And as someone who has historically been a bit of a perfectionist, a bit more OCD, very achievement-oriented, very good at hitting whatever benchmark was set for me by mm-hmm. my former employer, like, to get so comfortable with screwing up literally all the time, <laughs> you know, was such a new experience for me. And to get comfortable with not knowing the answers to most mm-hmm. things. Like, I wasn't even sure when I started where to start, like what part of the process was where I would dip my toe in? And was it finding someone from the traditional industry that had a lot of experience about how actual spirits are made and sold? Or is it finding someone from kind of like an alternative industry? Or do I even need a person at all and just need to know the right questions to ask? And I think that throughout this entire experience, I have just always had to assume that I don't actually really know what I'm talking about a lot of the time or doing, and I have to be really open to feedback, to input. But, um, you know, as I've moved along, what I have discovered is that I have learned so much. You know, I've gotten to the point where I know the people to go to for certain types of inputs in the business. Um, I know when I can trust my own opinion or gut on something because I've gotten to know the industry very well and how our product is different than the traditional industry and how that creates a set of advantages for us. But, I mean... I, I don't want to pretend like this has been a, a big confidence-boosting experience. I think, if anything, it has been the discovery of my own humility, mm. working through my ego, getting much more comfortable with not being great at certain things, but right. realizing like I don't have to be the best at something to continue being the best at pushing the ball forward. Mm. Um so yeah, you yeah. just you just answered like the question I wanted to ask you, which was what has been like your biggest lesson in entrepreneurship so far? Like, what have you learned? By yourself, really, but it sounds like yeah, and it's humbled you. <laughs> also, I it's so funny because there's been a lot of changes in the business lately, and I'm still figuring out what it means to be an entrepreneur and what that looks like. And I have discovered that it is not a linear process, you know. And success doesn't mean that everything goes right. It, success means that I am in a position to take every disruption, every challenge as information, Mm. not be reactive, instead kind of pull the, you know, advisors and mentors I trust to make the best decision Mm -hmm. I can. But even then, sometimes it might not work. Yeah. You know, and I think it's really been about getting a lot more comfortable with this just being a very chaotic and kind of all over the place process. But it's like, as long as we're kind of tracking in that right direction, this is very much a success. Totally. Because it's like we were saying, there's this really, I don't know anyone, especially a woman who's done this before. So it's like that you're walking on, you know, an unpaved path, like always. Yeah. It's so funny. I think People always compare starting something like this to my first baby, you know, having a baby. And I think I imagine that my child would be like clean cut with a polo and like a nice little button up and like little matching shorts. And instead, I feel like it's like one of those children on TikTok that dress themselves in the morning. 
Yes, you know, yes, <laughs> and are like very much doing what they want. Yeah. And my job is to like keep it safe, right? Right. Um, and you know, make sure that any issues that arise that are too significant are ones that we sit down and talk about. You know, <laughs> well, so. and this year for you has been so pivotal. Like you yeah. t- officially took the product to market this year, right? Yes. And you've built a team. Yes. And you have a board. I do. Yeah. So that's a lot of big things going on. It is. It is. And my my chairman is actually based here in Nashville and he's my mentor and one of just the most wonderful humans I've ever met. He's also a non-drinker. And, you know, he has played such a huge role in me figuring out what it means to have a board, also what it means to be a CEO. Because sometimes, you know, you you find yourself in a new role and are like, wait, you know, nobody ever told me exactly what my job is. Mm-hmm. And I find yeah. that I'm always learning about like new aspects of what my responsibilities yeah. are and from them and my lawyers. So I think, you know, <laughs> it's like, no, you actually do have the authority to make this decision. And that's always fun to learn. But, um, you know, we this winter was very much about pushing the boulder across the finish line in terms of having a physical product. And I have to tell you, a first production run for, you know, a new beverage is just like not for the faint of heart. And I had to be very hands-on with it. You know, I sourced all of our materials um, from a lot of international suppliers as well. I worked with my sister um, on creating the copy that you see on labels and, you know, the codes to scan at checkout and even the nutritional labels. And it's like every single piece of it was something that we had to make source um, and to do that within a world where there are just insane supply chain disruptions mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. So we always needed a plan A, a plan B, a plan C. And so we bottled at the very end of February and to hold this – um, it was just the craziest experience because mm. I think up until that point, there was this part of me that wasn't quite <laughs> sure if it would ever work out. You know, I think um, I thought I was going to build this company in six months, which is crazy mm-hmm. now that I know what it actually means to build a consumer products company. Um, but it was just it was so exciting. And but then the company radically has shifted because it suddenly went from all of our focus being on how do we get a bottle? How do we get a product that's exciting? How do we make sure it tastes good to how do we sell it? Mm. You know, which is also very important to do as an entrepreneur. And so, you know, we are going through this process now of figuring out what is the team we need um, to really take this to the market? Who is our customer? You know, I think I have a lot of ideas on who our customer is. And we've done a lot of different events that have given us more insight but until we're meeting them and having conversations with them in the market, like we don't actually know them as intimately as we will to really grow. Right. Um, and so this is very much a, a period of like lots of tests. Yeah. Lots Everything's of a theory right now. Everything's a theory and we're testing it. And I think it's really exciting when we prove ourselves wrong, mm-hmm. um, which we do more often than prove ourselves right. And I think before we got started, we were chatting about how, you know, this is still such a new category. Yeah. And I think because I spent every, you know, waking moment of my life on this for the last two and a half years, I forgot that not everyone knows about non-alc spirits. Yeah. And you're you like, know? really? You don't know about <laughs> and this? I'm having to explain it to you? Right. And for us, it's like, okay, this is why maybe you should choose our product over this product or this product. And people are like, I've not heard of those products either. Wait, oh. what is this category? And so I think that 
a lot of education has certainly been done by brands like Seedlip, which I think is a product that a lot of people know about now, and the same with a product called Ritual. Um, but that's not most people. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. never heard of it. Yeah, you Either. know, and, and I think there was a month or two that that was kind of surprising to us, but it's important for us to know because what it means is that even though I have a lot of industry contacts, um, I can't just put this on the shelf in any market and yeah. expect people to go to the grocery store or liquor store and even know what they're looking at. You know, it needs to really be accompanied by a lot of grassroots marketing yeah. and kind of disruptive, you know, strategies around how we're going to be communicating with our customers. Um, that sales process requires a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay because that's actually the fun part of the business, you know, thinking about how we can like be weird and get people to notice us and then buy it. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's what I want to talk about because, I mean, you came out of the gate being disruptive because your branding is edgy, like you said earlier. It's it's off the cuff. It's it's makes you kind of tilt your head and go, what is this? And I think you're really nailing it in that realm. But how did you know from the get-go that that was like the type, like the, the route you wanted to go with creating this brand and the product. Yeah. I think I came out of the womb disruptive. You know, I think <laughs> I, I just, I've, I'm always having to check myself. I'll say, because I do have a tendency to want to make everything from scratch. You know, it's very hard for me to get excited about just like buying into the way things are done. I always want to know if there might be a better or more effective way. And Sometimes that's a great thing. And sometimes it's like, Becca, you know, it's being done that way because that works. And so this has very much been a process of that. But I think in terms of like the branding and the design, for me, it was like, how can this bottle, how can the branding on it be one where very simply folks will know that any drinking choice they make will be accommodated Mm. at that space? So I wanted to have a logo with a marker that could be easily spotted from across the bar. But I also wanted it to blend in. Yeah. You know, I didn't yeah. want it to be That's poured key. from the bottle where everyone was like, oh, isn't that cute? Oh, you know, she's why got are a little you being healthy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was, a, you know, we had a strong desire to not make it too feminine because I think a lot of the products that have entered this category have only been um, really going after women. Yeah. Um, and the reality is that if you look at the data, and I think a lot of this has to do with non alk beer. There are actually more men that are cutting back on alcohol right now, which is kind of something I, I still don't even know if I believe it, but that's what, you know, Nielsen and everyone says. So I'm like, I guess it's true. But I think it's because the branding has made the products that men might more likely consume, such as beer, you know, at the golf right. course or whatever. They've made it so that there's not stigma surrounding them. Yeah. And I think that we would also start to see more people making whatever choice was best for them for whatever reason um, at the bar if that choice was also less stigmatized. So I think we wanted it to be cool, but something that didn't draw attention to folks. And it almost could be kind of like a secret between you and the bartender. Mm, I right. love that. That's And you're really hitting Nashville right now. Like I heard you say that you're going into bars and like everyone is just loving the the concept and wanting it. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting because I think that we're also just coming to appreciate like how different each market is. Like I feel like Louisville, where we really created this brand, is such a like 
it's a very welcoming hospitality market where by the end of, you know, having a cocktail, you're like hugging the bartender and your best friends. And Nashville's a little hipper, a little edgier. Mm -hmm. Like I think that there are a lot of bartenders and folks in the hospitality community that have really achieved like status through kind of, you know, being the name and the face of, you know, these specific areas. And so it's a little bit more formal here, but we have found that the best way for us to get folks excited about it is to just show up, order a non-out cocktail, ask if they'll make it with our product. I'm always like, guys, it looks like purse. I'm doing something illegal, but I'm not because it doesn't have alcohol. But, you know, I pull out the booze out of my purse. Yeah. And um, it is very rare that that experience doesn't bring someone on board. Hmm. Um, you know, we don't have a big footprint, but I think we are the best in the category, um, even if the category is still small. And so what we're really excited to do in Nashville this summer is to show up at different events. So we'll be at Porter Flea next week. Um, we're going to be doing a small influencer dinner um, with Porter Flea this evening. And we're just wanting to show up at, you know, even weddings in Nashville. We're working yeah. with some different wedding planners. And it's about how do we show folks how this product can be used in these different social environments. And alongside that, finding five or 10 bars that can really be advocates for us um, so that when people want to go try it, they can go have a nice cocktail. Because I think that's the entry point. It's not going to be, I mean, I'm not good at making cocktails. I'll just say that. Like, that is not the part of the company that I am good at. I'm actually really bad at that. And, you know, if I was to order our product online and make something at home, it just wouldn't be the same experience as going to like the Pearl Diver or Fox right. Bar and having someone who really knows how to make a cocktail make it for you. I mean, it's the same with the spirit. It's like I never was whipping up any fancy whiskey drinks at home. Right. They were bad, yeah. you know. <laughs> I love it. I love that you are, you're open about that. Well, yeah, because you go to a, a bar and, you know, the, the whole experience of it isn't so much always getting the buzz and getting drunk. It's the fancy, beautiful glass they put it yes. in. Yes. Great the, taste to and it. And the look and the little things they put in it, the little lemon or mm. the little flower. You had a drink with a flower in it recently. I like did. it's <laughs> Walker loves the girly drinks. They're great. Hey. <laughs> I respect Amanda. This loves is an a girly episode drink. that we need to break stigmas. All right. <laughs> this is that's what we're gonna title it. Breaking stigmas yeah. with Becca. What's wrong with I that? I love it. <laughs> no, I I my fiance is the same way. He always manages to order the most flamboyant beverage on the menu. It's like a sixth sense. Um, and, but I love that you mentioned like flowers and the glasses. Cause I think for us, um, artistry is a big part of our brand and the experience. So it's like, okay guys, like we might not have the ethanol, but how can this still be beautiful? And I think for us, it actually raises the bar in terms of what we think we need to achieve with presentation, with flavor, with story, because mm. You know, alcohol is what gives spirits its inherent value um, to a lot of people. And I think if we're removing that, it's kind of like, what are we going to put in that place? And I think that's an exceptional experience um, in all the other ways we can deliver on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an experience, like you said. That's what, yes. I mean, a lot of people think of as drinking and people that are really cocktail people. It's more about the art of it yeah. than it really is anything else. Um, well, I want to talk about your team because yes. I know that I've heard you say like that's kind of like new for you, running, managing a team, having yes. people and like, again, that, that, that's one of our fun challenges we get to have yeah. as working being, with a sibling. Working with a sibling. Yeah, that's horrible. No, I, I, uh, she's wonderful. She's awesome. So, so what is what does your team look like now? Um, and kind of who I know I'm sure everyone's wearing a lot of hats, but what does that kind of look like? 
Yeah, my my sister might say too many hats, um, <laughs> but we're a small team, and you know Jenny is really working as kind of my right hand. So she is helping me, you know, fill gaps and plug holes, and really is kind of a quarterback player across everything that we're doing. Um, but we actually have a business model that I think I have seen at other startups that works very well for us, which is more project based. Um, you know, we're not trying to fool ourselves and that we're a massive corporation, right. but there's a lot of really incredible projects that we're doing, like things focusing on engaging bartenders or engaging new types of consumers or activations in different markets. And so we have kind of a, a stable of freelancers in a sense, um, primarily from the hospitality community. So most of the individuals that work for us, there are three and soon to be four of them that are part-time bartenders um, and really well-respected bartenders in Kentucky that love being involved in an alternative brand and product, um, but also want to make some additional money outside of the hours and tips that they're working in bars. And so what we have found, and this probably isn't a surprise to many people, is that a lot of bartenders are also something else. (laughs) And very often, bartending isn't their main thing. You know, they are also an artist in some capacity, whether it is a photographer, they do copywriting, or they do web design. Right. And so what we have found is that working with the hospitality community, the bartending community, which is really a community that we aim to serve and empower through offering different freelance opportunities, has been exactly what we need in this stage of the business. And oftentimes, they're probably the best person to be doing these things. Like, if we're thinking about how to communicate to them, how to sell to them, for, you know, my sister and I to come up with a concept on a slide in our office versus just going and asking them how they would appreciate, you know, being introduced to something like this, they generally have better ideas than we do. So, um, you know, small team, we have four to five part-time folks. Jenny is my only other full-time employee. Um, and we also work with a lot of contractors right now. And I think we'll be shifting into a slightly more kind of mature model in the next year or so. But there's also this part of me where it's like, I'm very confident in this business, but I also want to make sure that I'm only bringing people on in a capacity that we can support. Totally. Is that how you decided to pull Jenny in or how did that, how did that form? (laughs) How did this start? Well, I mean, it was a similar model. Like I think, Jenny was planning to move back to Kentucky. She had been living out near Boulder um, for, I don't know, six or seven years. And she is a really great designer. And so I started getting her support on some projects in the fall, you know, a few hours here and there. And I think we were both shocked at how well we worked together because we were late. You know, you're like, wow, this is really exciting, but new. And um when she and her husband moved back to Kentucky over the holidays this past year, it just kind of made sense to both of us, you know, because I think we were able to grow into that place through working together in more of a freelance capacity. And so I think that has been the model. You know, it's interesting. We have one gentleman who is just such an incredibly talented guy that's working with us um, on a variety of different projects. And his hope is that this grows into a full-time opportunity in the fall. Love it. But I think that when it works for someone to work in more of this freelance capacity, it's a really great way for us to get to know each other. Cause yeah. I think it's a two way street because working at an early stage startup is like not for the, you know, faint of heart. It is not. 
And so it's like at least we're getting the things done. We're able to compensate them fairly um, and make sure, you know, coming on full time is something that, you know, is supportive of everyone. And so I think as long as we can continue using this model, we will. There will be, you know, a day when we need more people and this doesn't work. But I love it right now. Yeah, <laughs> That's it's, awesome. It's a great place to be. I love working with Sydney. Being a sibling, it's <laughs> surprised he's saying that. Yeah, we got a knockdown drag out yesterday. But I think that's the part <laughs> yeah, that like I mean, it works with a sibling. It's like it Sydney and I can sit here and be just so mean to each other. Yeah, <laughs> which and you sounds be, toxic. But then we're but also like, all right, well, we got dinner with mom, so, <laughs> so let's, let's just uh, let's just whatever. Put work aside. You could be really honest, yeah. you know. And I think that. Um, I have found a lot of value in working with someone that can call me out on my bullshit and who I actually will listen to because I'm like, she's a lot to base this on. Yeah. She's known me my whole life. (laughs) Yeah. She just knows. She knows what I'm trying to do here. She knows what I'm trying to do. She knows that I'm bullshitting. (laughs) Somehow makes you more mad, but then you're also like, all right. Right. right." Because you feel so seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like ego. What is the age? Who's older? Um, I'm four years older. Okay. Yeah. And, um, four year, five years younger than you. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. And it's so funny. I think, yeah, we're still surprised sometimes, but I think it, it's just worked so well. Yeah. And I think honestly, there has been the emotional support in, you know, her working with me that I've really valued. I think I didn't know I needed it, but since having it, I think it's been just such a tremendous, tremendous asset because it's tough. You know, there are days when I'm like, I have no business doing this. And, you know, to have someone there that knows you, understands you, can help you understand when maybe you need to take a break and step back for a minute um, has really made a big difference. Yeah, I always said when I started the business that I would never work with family. Like I, it was like the blanket. I took a class in business school that was basically that was like the thesis statement. So <laughs> don't work with anyone you're related well, to, right? And I was like, and here we are. Yep. You know, but when it works, it works, and I don't suggest it to everyone. But it's like you will just know it's kind of a gut thing. You're a gut person. Oh yeah. So and yeah, when I don't listen to it, I regret it. Yeah. So yeah, I think. Um, but yeah, you just know, and I think. Um, there are certainly I wouldn't work with everyone in my family, but um, you know it's great working with my sister. Yes, <laughs> well, and you have that trust, which is I think the yeah. most important thing. You know they have your best interest at heart. Exactly. Which with a business partner that you're not related to, it just can sometimes I don't know. I I just I could never have a partner business partner that like wasn't Walker. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's just sorry, but it's, it's just, tough. They it's would tough. quit or I would fire them. That's just how it would go. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Yeah, it's tough. It's, it's tough. tough. Well, I've heard you talk on uh, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about that because we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the show, a lot of creatives, um, successful people, and it's I something think, that we've just been talking about a lot. Yeah, and I think even outside of just entrepreneurship, I think even people in the in early general. stage startups, that, like even people on our team deal with it as well of like, why are we, are we is this real? Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. And, and I deal with it every single day. So I want to know what your experience has been with it. Like when you started feeling it, did you start feeling it? I mean, I'm sure you felt it in your strategy and consulting gig because that was, you were killing it. Weren't you making like, you you were, they were charging $800 an hour. Yeah. I mean, and I, I had a lot of success in my last career. Um, I think it might've been one of the reasons I stayed so long. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, probably. You know, it's like kind of like when you're in school and you get like the stars on your chart and you're like, okay. I guess I'm <laughs> supposed to be here I forever. Keep doing my homework. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting because I do think my, my career helped me because I was a generalist. So I would go into industries and work in functions that I hadn't before. And my job was really to spend a month learning that client, that industry, their problems well enough to help them kind of navigate different opportunities or changes that they might want to make to their business model. And I think that, um, you know, the spirits industry is a very male dominated industry. Um, in every facet of it and, you know, production and sales, especially in the boardrooms. And I mean, I, I was a hundred percent aware that I had never started a company and that I never worked in this industry. And it honestly, in terms of kind of, I think the thing that helped me through that imposter syndrome, because I felt very insecure about a lot of things was just time. And I think it was seeing that I had made many great decisions. Mm -hmm. And also seeing that oftentimes the advice that I had received from folks that were veterans of the industry or multi-time entrepreneurs and maybe a different category or space, the advice they had given me oftentimes was not effective or I oftentimes was glad I didn't take it. And, you know, that helped me understand that just because somebody stands there and confidently tells you what to do doesn't necessarily mean that they have a better idea. Right. And I think that developing the industry knowledge, having kind of now a little over two years of experience with this has really helped me navigate that imposter syndrome. But I also think that like I've had imposter syndrome my entire life, you know, and I think that a lot of people, I don't think I'm unique in that experience where I've just never really felt like I fit in always kind of feel felt like I needed to prove myself to be welcome in different spaces. And I think while there are certainly kind of negative, you know, implications of that, I think it's also one of the things that's made me more effective. Like I've never come into a space or tried something new and assumed that I knew the best way to do it. Mm. And for me, this whole experience has really been searching for the people whose opinions I trust, whose experiences I value to help me formulate my own. Mm. Um, and so I think that imposter syndrome, you know, that feeling of being an imposter is also, you know, another way to describe humility. Yeah. And I don't think it's always necessarily a bad thing because I see people step into new spaces yeah. that, act as though, you know, they were meant to be there from the beginning and they know exactly how to do everything. And those people usually fail. Right. <laughs> you know? We know those people. Yeah. Yep. And, and so it's one of those things where it's like, I think if imposter syndrome goes on too long, it become toxic for you. But I think that there are parts of it that I have appreciated and I think have been a strategic advantage yeah. for me. Well, and I think you said it earlier when you describe, you know, success is not linear. And as an entrepreneur, you find success most of the time when you fail at something like that's, and I think that's a hard thing to realize, but like if something goes wrong, that is a win in a sense. Yes. And you have to realize that. And then that helps eliminate some imposter syndrome as well. A hundred percent. And if I think about what imposter means, it's like I am in many ways yeah. an imposter. And in some ways a product like mine is a threat. Like I want to propose cultural changes. You know, I want to propose different ways of selling 
things. And that has an impact on a lot of the folks that are the more traditional stewards of these spaces and industry dynamics and the ways that the sales channels work. So I think that like, no, I don't fit in, but I think that's what makes our company great is that we're trying to show that there's a different way to do things. That's awesome. I love that. Wow. Um, So many nuggets here. So (laughs) what is kind of next for you guys? I know you're in Nashville this week, which is so exciting next week. So that's amazing. Are you, do you have a place here? Or do you like, where do you guys stay when you're, do you go back and forth? Um, someday I'll have a place here. I, this company. I no, I'm just kidding. The um, naked lady lair. The naked lady lair. Um, no, we, um, so we're just here. We just stayed last night. Um, but we're going to be in Nashville a lot more this summer. I think it is such a great market for us. The, the hospitality seat here is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, we could actually hit kind of our sales forecast just like selling a lot of product in Nashville. In one little corner of yeah. Nashville, yeah, I feel with like. the entertainment industry and the whole bachelorette industry. I mean, it's it's absolutely, it's insane. And then the insane. partnership opportunities here. And the partnership here opportunities. Yeah. Like there's so many chefs based in New York or LA that have their satellite locations here. And that's really exciting for us. Um, but in terms of what's next, we are... I don't want to say we're really trying to have fun right now, but um, that's kind of what we're trying to do. Like, I think that the team, you know, myself included, have worked so hard to get to this point where we have a product, we have support from investors. And I think that the summer is going to be our opportunity to meet as many people as possible, to participate in as many events as possible, meet as many bartenders as possible, and really just try to spread the word through having fun and including others in that. And, um, so, you know, I think marketing is really kind of priority number one for the summer for, you know, the reasons I've said where, you know, this is new to so many folks and the aha moments come not from seeing the copy on our website or the picture on our Instagram, but from people being at an event where they see us and they get to experience it for themselves. Absolutely. I mean, that's how I first experienced it and absolutely fell in love with it. So I think that makes the most sense. And it's like you fall in love with the product and then you really dive into the branding and you're like, oh, this is it. Like this makes so much sense now and it ties everything together beautifully. And I think, you know, I will say in terms of products, um, we are working on a ready to drink concept. Um, But again, I mean, you guys know you're, in the entrepreneurial world, it's uh, <laughs> timelines are yeah. just timelines. Easier you know, they are not reality. So I think that, you know, next year is probably when we'll be releasing these ready to drink cocktails. But, you know, as someone who admittedly is not much of a, you know, bartender herself, um, I mean, I love the ready to drink cocktails. Yeah. And I think to be able to experience our spirits in a format that didn't require a mixer or a shaker and the garnishes yeah. and the, you know, would be something I certainly would love. Mm. Um, and I anticipate that others would too. So, okay. So we've got the tequila, we've got a gin and we've got a whiskey. Yes. I love it. And I know people are going to, and I want to put in the show notes, like where, where can we, and when, I know timeline. Yeah. Where, where and when can we get our hands on this? So now you can order it on our website, um, which is drink naked lady and kdldy.com. And I will give you guys a discount code to yes. share with listeners. That'd be great. Um, and we are at 
10, 15 places in Louisville. You can also buy us retail there. But in terms of Nashville, what I will say is that we are going to be really focusing on Nashville next month. Nice. So if any of your listeners have favorite bars or restaurants, we're actually kind of crowdsourcing okay. the, the spots that we want to be at because we want to know where people want to see non-elk options. Um, because I think that when we have conversations with folks, we really realize that the product sells itself. So I think for mm. us, it's about fit. Like, yeah. where would people like to see these things on the menu? And so if anybody, I, I really mean it. Like, if anybody wants to, they can add us on Instagram, which is NKDLDY. But if you drop into our DMs, let us know your favorite spot. We'll add it to the list of places that we speak to next month. I'm going to blow your DMs. Yeah, up. blow like, me I up. Have so please, many. Please, <laughs> I. And it's so, so fun. And like, you know, so we'll be coming back probably once a week, once every other week now for the next two months, um, just going, having meetings with different places, really feeling out the Nashville market. Um, because after that, we'll be focusing on Los Angeles. And I think that, you know, Nashville's a great stepping stone from Louisville I, to LA because there's a lot of differences between Louisville and Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought that? I know, thought? right? Right. They're like the same. <laughs> well, it's so funny because I was in LA. Um, I have some investors out there. One of our labs is out there. And, um, you know, I took two six packs and I stopped by some of like the hottest spots in Los Angeles, you know, just also schlepping my bag as sketchy as possible. And <laughs> I didn't get a single no at these wow. huge places. And I, and it was so fascinating because in Louisville, I will spend 30 minutes trying to convince or explain to someone why this is actually a valid category. Um, because the market is just not as mature, um, in terms of these types of analogs for spirits. But in LA, they're like, oh gosh, no, we get it. We have like two others on the shelf. What's, how's yours different? And it's just a completely type of different type of conversation. And I have found that Nashville is somewhere in the middle where we do meet more folks that do know that this is a thing. They've been seeing it or hearing it, right. but um, they don't, you know, they're not aware of the complete competitive set, which a lot of bartenders in LA are. So um, it's stepping stones. Well, I think you're doing it right with the Porter Flea kind of market. I think everything over in East is 100% up your alley. It's like mm-hmm. there's so much education there, I feel like, on this. And I follow a lot of influencers that are always talking about the sober curious movement yes. that really happened like post pandemic it seems yeah is yeah. that like I mean are you having to educate on that or are you seeing that that is just really kind of taking off or I think that you know the sober curious movement is the result of a couple things I think one is actually the number of celebrities and folks that are in the spotlight that started to open up and become much more transparent yeah. about their decision not to drink um, and I think that, you know, we live in a society and culture where that makes a difference. Yeah, it does. Um, and then I think that the the other piece is that at the beginning of the pandemic, people were drinking a lot. Like, if you look at the statistics, it was like Tiger uh, King and tequila. Oh, was, my yep. gosh. You know, and <laughs> good I mean, exactly. And then there was this point where people were like, wow, this isn't lasting two months. I feel like I might have a little bit of a problem yeah. or need to have a different kind of solution. And I think... You know, you saw a lot of new hobbies emerge out of the pandemic. I mean, while I started Etsy, like jewelry company also while I was, you know, I I just had time on my hands in the basement. And um, I think that, you know, there became the sober curious movement. A lot of people that were big fans of mocktails and, you know, got really interested and involved in it as almost like hobbyists. And I think we're now at this point where it's exciting because a lot of people learned about this category and I don't think they otherwise would have. But it's kind of like, okay, now that we can hang again, 
now that we can socialize and this isn't just as ordering the new D2C product for our mocktail cart at home, like what does that now mean? Mm -hmm. You know, what do the products need to be like to actually be supporting these different types of social experiences? So I think this product was designed for those. Um, So I don't want to say the timing of like the pandemic worked well for us because the pandemic was horrible. But I think that we had always wanted to be a social beverage. So when the pandemic happened, it was kind of like, do we need to change our branding? Like, you know, like I I just like we're talking about like going out and partying and stuff and like you're not allowed to leave your house. And, you know, so it was just a little bit interesting in that way. But um, I think it's a great time for us. Totally. It's been the right amount of time. It's such a timely product. That's how you, I mean, it's, 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 you hit the nail on the head with everything. I mean, people are so sober curious. It's trending more and more. Mental health conscious. Mental health conscious. finally becoming a a positive. I mean, people are are opening up and I think men are more now than ever, which makes me very happy. Oh my gosh. I'm a, I'm a big advocate for mental health and men have never been open about it. No. And I still know people that are afraid to, and it's like. No, you're allowed to be stressed or depressed or upset about something. It's not a big issue. A hundred percent. Just say it. It's so funny. Um, He might hate me for saying this, but um, I feel like it's been the past year that my fiance has really learned to cry. And it's been like (laughs) so attractive to me. It drives him crazy because it's just like, I'm like, you do you. You know, I'm like, do you need to go cry? Feel this. Stop. Stop. (laughs) You know? And I'm like, but no, I think – you know, it's so exciting because all of those cultural dynamics support what we're trying yeah. to do, which is about it being safe to be vulnerable, about yeah. it being safe to make the decisions that are best for you, to be safe in a way where you don't feel like you're going to be judged or, you know, have some kind of stigma placed yeah. on you because you are talking about what health and wellness looks for you, like like for you, which is different for everyone. It is. And it's their business, not really anyone else's. So you don't have to go out and talk about it. But I like that. I like that so much about this product and kind of the mission behind it. It's like, it's your thing. You don't, it doesn't have to be like a, a judgment, like, Ooh, that person's not drinking anymore or whatever. It's like, T- totally. And I, you're getting it naked. And I think when I first got started, I was like, I want to make not drinking cool. You know, it was like the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And I was like, okay, that's like a little aggressive. I think right now we're making it innocuous. Right. It's innocuous. And then maybe eventually it'll be cool, but yeah. you know, I, you're kind of making it I cool. think you're making it um, very, very cool. We love the branding. It is so badass. It is it is just you're 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 really just making a name for yourself in this in this space, this new space. I think you're really creating a space, which yeah. I just think is like like you're literally crap, like sister. paving the road as you're walking forward. Yeah. It's thank really you. cool. It feels like plowing snow. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're like trudging through the snow. Well, Becca, uh, thank you so much for coming on the Renaissance Pot. You are such a Renaissance woman. I love that we got to have you on. I have a million things I want to talk to you about off air. Just like <laughs> my brain is like, oh, I need to connect you to this person and this person. Yeah, I've like got just a like restaurants so... <laughs> and bars and. Well, we have a girl coming on the podcast tomorrow, Shannon Stewart, who's the founder of Heels and Handshakes here, which is a hospitality forward uh, women's community. Oh, awesome! And she will just she probably already knows about yeah. you, but she just you guys would be. Love it. Simpatico. Love yeah. it. Um, well, where can everyone find you? I know you already gave us the website link, but maybe give it again and Instagram. Yeah. So I would say that your best place to follow along is Instagram right now. So that's just NKDLDY because we are posting 
the places that we're showing up in, whether it's events or new retail locations. And so that's really kind of the real-time updates. But you can also follow along at www.drinknakedlady, nakedlady without the vowels, dot com. Um, and that's where you can also purchase our product. Awesome. Uh, so yeah. Cool. Well, we are so excited about it. Excited to have you more in Nashville <laughs> and see you more in Nashville at our favorite bars. And um, if you guys see this out, take a picture, tag them, do all the things because yes. this is a brand that just continues, is going to continue to need to get out there. And I will say one last thing is that we are giving free product to 10 weddings <gasps> this summer and it's first come first serve. We've already had five people ask. Wow. So, Ooh. and it only applies to folks in Louisville and Nashville. So okay. if any of your listeners are getting married or going to a wedding, um, we're happy to provide them a case. Hey, Oh my gosh. That's, great. that's so cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we definitely have some getting married peeps that are listening, <laughs> so you'll probably get reached out to. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much, Becca. And thank you. we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you guys so much. Thanks.